Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. And I'm John Tandy. We are two friends having a casual conversation about the things of eternity and specifically eternity and eternal life. And we're going to get back into that today. John sent me a very well laid out email about what we're going to talk about today. And so I'm just going to turn it over to him as we discuss works and what that means. Um, John, you brought up three three approaches last time, which I think is a great baseline. Um, if you want to just refresh our memories as to what those are, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah, last time that we recorded a podcast, you know, I suggested or I asked you the question just for, kind of for discussion. Um, what does it really mean when the scriptures say we are judged according to our works or rewarded according to our works? And, you know, I proposed kind of three different possibilities. There could be more, but uh, one is the view that every single work or every single action is rewarded, you know, whether it be good, you know, with good intent and, and a good thing, and there's a good reward versus an evil reward, or, you know, a, a punishment, let's say. Um, you know, every time, um, let's see. So, you know, if we commit an act of goodness, we're blessed. If we commit an act of sin, there's a punishment that we must bear. And when we repent, of course, we don't bear that punishment. It's that Punishment is essentially taken in our place by Christ, but there's still a punishment for every every act of evil. Um, and we kind of talked about how, certainly under all of this, we're going to talk about today again, that it's not just when we talk about works, clearly we shouldn't be talking about just the outward actions, but the true intent of the heart. Like Moroni 7 says, you know, if you pray without real intent, it's... it's uh, as if you hadn't done it, I think, you know, something like that. So we've got to really understand works in the, in the full sense of how God sees the, the intent behind the works. Um, and then the second was, well, if we don't like the idea that there's this vast array of variability in, in rewards, then maybe it's more of an aggregate view of, you know, judged according to our works means the total person that we become, you know, the, the character that we develop is, is based on a bunch of works, but the judgment is, is essentially on our total character and not like every single thing you do. Oh, I get a star in my crown. Right. <laughs> you know, that could lead you in maybe wrong directions as far as a, a theology possibly. Um, and I try to think, you know, I've got actually a couple of scriptures I wanted to read on these just kind of quickly without sure. spending too much time to kind of go behind each one of these. Yep. Um, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. And but then the third idea was, well, you know, both of you guys, you know, these two ideas are based on you're working your way into the kingdom or working your way into glory and reward, it really and truly is not works-based salvation. You know, the works, the outward actions that you do, even with true intent, is not really where your reward comes from. There really is only one work that counts, and that is essentially one work that is a belief or deeper, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the works is really kind of more, if you will, figurative sense of the, of the, of the thing in that where is your life? It's either with Christ or without Christ, and and it becomes right. very kind of polarized, let's say. Um, I've kind of meshed together number two and three, or number eight, or mm -hmm. B and C. The last two you've talked about, mm -hmm. I see it as a 
a meshing of those two, but we can talk about right. that. Right. And last time I said that, I kind of almost flippantly said, you know, just off the cuff, I said, well, I, I believe all three. <laughs> well, right. And, you know, when I think of really think more deeply about it, um, I probably tend toward the first one. But then when I really think about it, it's like, you know, I think there's, you know, I maybe center more on the on the second one. But when I say that I believe all three is to clarify is that I think there that all three positions have some scriptural merit, mm-hmm. and there is probably some truth in all all three perspectives. And I'm not going to necessarily say which you know it's one or the other or what, but I wanted to maybe just quickly throw out like a couple of scriptures on hit us each with the word hit us with the um, word. So as an example of number one, uh, I gave last time uh, Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. Um, that was uh, like the, almost the last verse in Ecclesiastes that says uh, that God shall bring every work into judgment, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so there, that kind of tends to focus on every action. It says every work, um, you know, whether it be good, meaning it's focusing on the individual acts. And Jesus kind of reinforced that in Matthew 12, where he said that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account of in the day of judgment. And so that's you know, not just a total, you know, what was your life character when you died, but it was, he says, every word, every idle word that you speak. And so you could take that in the context of that first, you know, category that really every action that we do is going to come into judgment, but then it's a little bit of an extension beyond what Jesus said to say that your glory is, you know, accumulated based on those things. Now, that, you would have to talk further, and there's some other scriptures about that. Um, but I'll, I'll move on just to you know, these are just kind of throwing out some ideas that, and I'll maybe pause there if you're kind of pondering that. Well, I am pondering that. <laughs> um, I can't say that that does not have merit, especially if Jesus said it. Uh, but I, I admit I have read that scripture and I have brushed past it because, uh, because to me, it's like, wow. <laughs> Oh, that's going to be a long uh, session (laughs) (laughs) with the Lord because I have spent a lot of idle words and time. Well, so you you look at that, right? Every idle word I say, what's the meaning behind that? Uh I mean, I've spent countless idle minutes probably watching TV and YouTube videos and even things that you could say were for good. Mm Mm-hmm aren't so we have to look at that and i mean if you base your relationship with christ on that you can almost i would almost shrink right now and mm-hmm. want to climb into a cave and have the rocks fall on me because that's going to be a, a hard session but i think the scriptures give us a lot more hope than just that one verse as far as our relationship sure, with and him. that hope just to Quickly, very quickly, uh, we've we've touched on this in previous uh, conversations, but um, this experience that the man George Ritchie had when he died and then came back is he basically had that experience where he died and then all of a sudden this person is Jesus, you know, comes to him and it's like his entire like his, you say my life flashed before my eyes. Well, his life flashed before his eyes, like all these like <clears throat> like a three sixty degree of of scenes you know, mm-hmm. from his entire life, just but in a moment. So it wasn't like a long time because time. It's, you know, eternities. <laughs> it's with Christ. But, you know, and, and Christ basically asked him, you know, what did you do for me? Mm-hmm. So he's looking through all these pictures of his life. What the, was there one thing? You know, he couldn't even find one thing, you know, that mm-hmm. he, and he was just almost a despair. But then Jesus, basically he saw that Jesus was looking at him with total love. It wasn't a condemnation from Jesus. It was love coming from Jesus. And 
you know, then there was also forgiveness too. That's where, where repentance and forgiveness comes in. But right. Yeah. Yeah. I could, well, put it this way. We shouldn't, we shouldn't do what Mike Barrett has done oftentimes (laughs) when we read this and just say, Oh, he's not serious about that. Uh, you know, I think of the scripture in the doctrine of covenants that says refrain from much laughter. Mm -hmm. When you read that in context, um, you certainly, I mean, there's a reason why he says that because Mm -hmm. they're, they're discussing some very serious things. And, um, but what it comes down to is, boy, I am going to be judged for even every idle word that I say, every idle minute that I say. And that's why I need, as the Book of Mormon says, I need the judgments of Christ uh, diverted or or I need his protection to protect me from those judgments because I should mm-hmm. I should receive an awful yeah, inheritance. That's where his mercy comes right. in and that's where we can we can rest. So um and well, and, and I want to move on but yeah, I, maybe, move on. maybe kind of as a blanket over this whole thing um I'll say you know I've kind of grown up with this idea and I think there's a lot of scripture that could justify this idea in the sense that just even the phrase rewarded according to our works. Now uh, we talked about the definition of this a little bit of according to and one of the definitions is like in proportion to. But that's not the only definition. But that's kind of how I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of grown up thinking of it. And just it's, this is obvious. You know, this, this, is, this is an obvious thing. You know, our, our, variable, our reward is variable based on because individually we, we make choices. But when I come down and, and in, in the last even few weeks as I've, we've interacted on this subject and I've studied, if you question that assumption that according to means a spectrum, let's say a, a variable spectrum of, mm-hmm. of things, uh, you know, the, in proportion to... Uh, if you discount that as like like a, a grounding assumption of what that means, it becomes a lot harder. And I'm, I'll admit, it becomes a lot harder to find specific scriptural proof, let's say, that says you will receive degrees of reward in you know based on a sort of a, a wide variability of of things. It's to actually prove it scripturally. I think is not as hard as what we maybe I, I and we have have sometimes assumed. I've even I admit that I've heard in. Um well, different Christian belief systems, there is this idea of jewels in the crown, or right. uh, I just the other day somebody was somebody posted on Facebook. One of our one of our one of our quote people, one of the restoration people said, you know, there's a place in heaven with, you know, beautiful rewards or crowns for this person because mm-hmm. they were so good. And mm-hmm. and it was off the cuff kind of a statement, but it's not like those things don't float around. Those oh, thoughts yeah. aren't out there, right? Yeah, they float around, and whether they're 100% true or whether they're maybe 10, <laughs> 10 or 20% true, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to discount it. Like I said, I, I'm not discounting <laughs> this this particular view, but I think there's some balance. So on the second idea that we're not rewarded based on individual collection of works, let's say, but a, a total, I had a harder time finding scripture on this. Um and one of the ones, the only one that I, well, no, there was a second one that I forgot to write down. So, <laughs> so let's see if I come up with it today. But, but the, fir- the one that I wrote down for, on this was section 85 that we've referred to between ourselves a few times. It says, those who are quickened by a portion of the celestial glory shall receive it the same, even a fullness. And what does that say to you? Well, we could spend a whole hour talking about that one verse, you know. Sure. But, but that kind of says to me is that, potentially at least, is that, even if you you get the glimmer of, of celestial glory, you know you you get that that essence of what celestial glory really is that that sold out commitment to Jesus. Even if we're not a hundred percent there, which 
0% of us will be. <laughs> you know, Jesus is the only one that was 100% celestial glory. Uh, so none of us have a fullness of it in this life. Uh, but that means all of us have to depend on grace to even get a portion of it. Um, and I know you have a different take on how this relates to the whole end game anyway as mm -hmm. far as glories. But uh, let's just take the, the traditional view of it. It also says those that receive a portion of the, or quickened by a portion of the terrestrial, so receive a fullness of the same, and, and the same for the telestial. So you could take that verse as saying, um, you know, it's not like infinite numbers of variability within celestial and infinite numbers within terrestrial, but there is something of an essence of each one that you get the fullness, even though you didn't deserve the fullness, mm -hmm. right? So there, there's, it, there's a... There's a place where it's not equivalent to or, or in proportion to your works. It's more than what you deserved, right? Um, and now I remember this, uh, the other scripture that I thought of on this. Uh, that's the one in Math, uh, Matthew something, I don't recall the chapter now, where Jesus talked about, you know, every worker gets a penny, you know, which is a, a denarius. That Denarius was actually like a day's wages for a mm -hmm. soldier. And so he, he contracts with the guy to work all day long, and he gives him a day's wages, he comes at the 11th hour and says, you're gonna, would you work for me for a denarius? And he says, yes. At the end, they complain, well, he got the same amount and we right. didn't do the same work. Well, you know, Jesus basically gives this as an analogy of, of the way heaven works, you know. So you, didn't I agree with you that you would get this reward? So, so that, I think, could, could go along with certainly Section 85 and, and you know, definitely Protestant, you know, mm -hmm. views of, of heaven and hell as being a singular place and a singular glory definitely use that as a concept. So, and I think there's something there. Um, so it's not completely, you know, infinite number of variability, you know, based on your works. But then the third, it's moving on to the third idea, then this, this rubs many of us wrong in the restoration of the, there's only one work that, that counts, <laughs> that idea. That's, that's a very raw way of, of saying it. Sure. But, you know, Jesus, and I, I read this one before, but Jesus in uh, John 6 um, you know, they ask him, well, what work shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work. Um, this is John 6, 28 and 29. He says, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he has sent. And some people take that as being literally, that is the only work, right? And, mm -hmm. and you could argue with that too. Every one of these, you could talk about three different interpretations of each one, but... Isn't um, it weird how we in the Christian culture, how we can take one moment in time, one sentence or paragraph, <laughs> and then make that a bumper sticker or a life's <laughs> banner of, Jesus said, believe on me, and that is your work. So mm -hmm. that is now all the information we need about being saved. It right. just, I don't know where where else in human interaction or existence do we... I mean, do you do that in your relationships? My wife told me one day that I was an idiot, and so uh, I no longer have a... You know what I mean? It's like, why? Well, I, <laughs> I guess my response to that would be, I think that is human nature to take certain things that we agree with and elevate mm -hmm. that to absolutes and things that we disagree with and kind of minimize them to the point of, you know, setting them aside. And that, I think that probably crosses religions and politics. Well, you know, you can, you can, you know, if you take an issue in politics and say, well, I agree with this, I won't even name an issue because 
Mm -hmm. They're all hot button issues to somebody. And that's that's what it takes to become a Republican, you know. And if you know this, you're not a true Republican. You know, you're you're a rhino. You know, <laughs> you're right. Well, you and I, you know, so. we exchange text messages and emails, and it, it would just be so weird if you took one text message yeah. that I wrote you, and you're like, "This is the whole existence of who Mike Barrett is in his mm -hmm. essence." But I mean, you and I interact on a personal basis. Mm -hmm. It's that's not the. It's just, I think in Christianity and in Christian culture, we have this thing where we, we hold this Bible in our hand, and that becomes who God is, and we've mm -hmm. we've elevated it to a a weird little, almost an idolatry type. I yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. Now, in defense of the Protestant who is taking that point of view, it's not just one verse, mm -hmm. and I'll just give one more. But there's a you could have a you know I could put I could give you a page full of scriptures. Sure, that also fair enough. Yes, that yeah, idea. right. But let's just give it a second one. Is Titus three uh, that he says that uh, the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that's just a, a thing that someone could take to say. You it, make a good it's point. Not it's 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 yeah. when I listen to YouTube videos and debates and things, it's they, they pull out, I think, probably the more popular scriptures or the ones that are more clear, mm -hmm. clearly stating what they can make a philosophy out of. So that that's fair, but but yeah, it's it's certain ones you hear over and over, which which I do that too with the Book of Mormon, but yeah, to make a philosophy out of out of that is just yeah, yeah. you have to take the whole body, right? So sure, sure. So so my what I wanted to do this time was to go beyond what we talked about last time, and that is to kind of delve a little bit deeper, uh, just between us, you know, because like I said, I don't have a fixed necessarily fixed view of one of the uh, one or the other of these views, but eventually, how we think about rewarded according to our works will eventually end up at a day of judgment, where after that point, we either have one one reward for all the righteous and you know nothing for the wicked or something you know a two a two glories view if you will or we might have this view that has been more traditional in in the restoration and the RLDS church of at least four levels of glory and you know maybe some even within that and so i i wanted to talk about what are the implications of starting with maybe the third idea that that third idea that there is only one work and therefore there is only one reward if you will, um, and I don't want to misrepresent your, you know, feelings on this, but I, I, I'm just kind of thinking through hypothetically, not hypothetically, but uh, you know, rationally. Let's say, as far as what would what would that view? If I if I took that extreme view mm -hmm. of there is only one reward, there is only one, you know, one positive outcome for people in eternity. Um, but specifically, I'd say reward, because I and and I and at some point maybe we won't have time for it today. Well, but I, I want to distinguish between, or at least suggest a distinction between salvation and reward. You know, are those separate concepts or are they the same concept? And I think again that may get to some of our you and my disagreements. Yeah, right? that's really that's that's a um, I don't like I don't like misrepresenting that. So yeah, we'll talk about that. But no, you're not gonna. I I'm finding out that. Yes, I, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful ending to the story that there is only two outcomes. But mm -hmm. I think where people hear that and their mind immediately goes to easy salvation or believism, and it's like what I'm becoming more and more aware of is, is in order to get to those two outcomes, specifically the the good outcome where mm -hmm. you're restored to the Father in its fullness, 
is a pathway that is painful, and we have no idea the sacrifice that it takes because when Christ says you must be spiritually born again or you cannot even see the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. that is the focus of, should be the focus of every church, every church service, mm-hmm. every worship service. It should be the first thing on a Christian's mind. And so... I think I'll take that back to the uh, to the priesthood at the branch here and say, look, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we're not focusing on this, and if this isn't the essence of what we're preaching, There's, we need, you know, what all what else are we doing? Right? This has been solidified yeah. in my mind even this past week. So yeah, let's let's dive in. Uh, okay. No no worries. We'll. So I just put together some thoughts. Uh, so my question, I'll have a question, then I had some thoughts on it, and we're gonna get your your ideas on it. Um, I asked the question. If we were to take the idea that there are only two rewards, you know, 100% mm-hmm. reward, which is we call, might call heaven, and 0% reward or, or nothing for the people that end up in what we would call hell or the lake of fire. Um, sons of perdition. Sons of perdition. Devils and his angels. Um, if there were only, ultimately, at the very end, two rewards, my thought is, anyway, there's there's... This is the, there are consequences of this of that point of view. Okay. And I would one of the consequences I would think is that there should be theolo- this is theological consequences. Uh, there should be no possibility of someone receive, be, receiving a greater reward or a lesser reward. You know, all rewards or reward would be exactly equal. You know, the degree of one's righteousness or their work should make no difference in their ultimate reward. Correct. Um, and you know I've got several scriptures, you know, one from Third Nephi and one from Alma that talks about that for these people that there is great reward in heaven. Now, we could take that two different ways. You know, does that mean that there is a greater reward? It doesn't say that. It says great reward. Is it distinguishing that from something that's not so great? You know, there, there are other scriptures we could, we could talk about uh, with mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, th- this is where I was kind of alluded to earlier is that if I exclude the idea that according to your works means a in proportion to, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot harder to actually prove. Let's say you know have rock solid scriptural. You know these five scriptures say that you you somebody receives a greater reward than somebody else. I, it actually became harder than I thought, <laughs> honestly. Right. I'm just being honest. That of harder than I thought to prove it to somebody that maybe was questioning those yeah, kind of assumptions. Right. This that that thought that reading into that that phrase in proportion to, mm-hmm. I think is. Uh, completely obliterated by so many other scriptures. And most of them have to do, well, because of the many ways it says the righteousness of, of Christ mm-hmm. saves us. So uh, mm-hmm. that I've, I've, I've never thought of it. I've, n- I've never thought of breaking it down because I've just never, I think the scriptures completely uh, speak contrary to being rewarded in proportion to. But I guess mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're debating. That's the essence of it. It's I think not. That's where it comes down to, and that's yeah, why yeah, I yeah. think this discussion today okay. is almost like a pivotal moment in our conversation because we've talked about a lot of things. But this... <laughs> we've talked a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Six months, I think now. Isn't yeah. It? Almost. So um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, carry so on. Another potential theological consequence would be is that there would be no possibility of someone in hell uh, having a less severe outcome or a less severe consequence. Let's say their experience in hell would be less less bad than somebody else, let's say, uh, in that if it's truly all or nothing, if, if you take a very simplistic statement about it, that all punishments, all sufferings of, of the damned, let's say, those that, that don't end up in the kingdom of the Father, um, are exactly equal regardless of any differences in their character, any differences in their works, you know, whatever they did in life, 
there's nothing is nothing. You know, the, mm-hmm. there there is no reward that's that's sets one person in hell apart from another, or they you know makes their sufferings less than somebody else's. And if does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and here I you know, I find several scriptures maybe more clear on this particular point. And I'll, again, I'll quickly throw out a couple just because I. I'm trying to kind of move through a conceptual uh, mm-hmm. point of discussion. You know, there's several places, Alma, a couple places, and other scriptures that talk about that for these people, you know, these Lamanites, it shall be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than for you, you know, you Nephites who rejected it with full knowledge and full, you know, full knowledge of the gospel. It will be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment. Well, what does that mean? Well, that still doesn't answer any questions with any certainty. But to me, the way I've always seen it, and I still do actually, is that there is some place for a wicked Lamanite to exist in eternity that that doesn't say necessarily that he's in the presence of the Father or, or glory, but it says it's more tolerable. Uh, you know, and also, you know, similar scriptures where like they were more hardened, they become more, their mm-hmm. state is worse. You know, the, the sons of perdition, it's worse for them that they, they'd, they'd ever been born. And, and yet there's other people that say that they never knew God that also says that they're going to end up in hell, well, there seems to be, if you put you know several of those things together, there seems to be a difference in even among the wicked as far as how they experience eternity. Mm-hmm. So I, you know. Just real quick, okay. I, I, think okay. it's, I think it's easier to grab scriptures out of the Bible uh-huh. because of its nature of the literature and, and talk on them. Uh-huh. Uh, I found in the Book of Mormon that even pulling a scripture like more tolerable in that day, that if you read two or three pages before and after, mm-hmm. that is somehow uh, in the magic of the writing style of those people and the way things were preserved and, mm-hmm. and recorded, as you read the whole thing in context, to me personally, it rests on my soul and it, it I just have this understanding of, okay, this is a much more clearer picture. Mm-hmm. I get what he's saying and I don't try to literally, you know, diagram it out and say, what exactly does that mean? I, I, yeah. I like in this scripture, for instance, I, I, I find it saying simply, you know, John, <laughs> more tolerable. It, it could mean the difference between going to paradise or the prison house after you die for a period of time. But I, I don't see where that shows like a eternal final degree of, where you're going to be. Sure. And I don't want to you know, go into each of those scriptures sure, today no. and debate each one because we could spend the whole hour again like we've done a lot of times. Right. Uh, but I'm just kind of laying out, and, and I think some of those do t- say the day of judgment, but again, then you have to interpret what's the day of judgment. Right. right? So, um, so, you know, so that's, that's not easy. Uh, even, you know, even with a very clear scripture, there's still, you know, how do you look at it? Mm-hmm. And, but I agree with you that the Book of Mormon does tend toward, you know, that, that point of view that, and I, I recognize that that there is tension there, so that's I, I wrestle with that same tension, and I can no, I'm, yeah, no, of it, but, I'm excited yeah. to I'm excited to get to the end of our uh, idea of the finality or the ending point because I think uh, there's so much I want to discuss with you about right here, right now, and being born again and what that takes. So mm-hmm. uh, there's, in other words, in our discussion of three glories or four glories or one place or the other. So many people have died and probably never even questioned that, right? And mm-hmm. they are finding out right now what's going on. But for those of us that 
that this affects. In other, I don't, I don't need to debate this with people unless it becomes a stumbling block for right. them. Right. And that's, and that's what not a witnessing necessarily a witnessing angle. This is right. something that we talk about among ourselves. And maybe as, the only yeah. reason in this day because it's been a stumbling block for me. But I, but I know because we've heard from yeah. many many people. This is a stumbling block for some people, and uh-huh. so if their life can be better. And their relationship better than so mm-hmm. be it. But anyway, carry on. Yeah. Um, now, third, and I'm, I've got my document and your email together, so I want to make sure I'm staying in track with that. Okay. Um, so the third potential consequence, let's say, is we think about: is it either or? I mean, all or nothing, or is it that? Is that it should it would imply that there is no possibility that someone in hell, someone who doesn't exist in the kingdom of the of the Father at the end. Um, that they would receive anything that could be termed a positive reward or a positive glory for anything they did in life. In other mm-hmm. words, even if they did, even if they were decently, uh, you know, a decent person, you know, obviously they have sin because everybody has sin, but they were overall a decent person. They weren't a mass murderer, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. That did they do, you know, was were there good things in their life that they did where they responded to the Spirit of Christ positively, even though they never actually they don't ever actually come to him, right? And they, don't, mm-hmm. they eventually, in the end, they reject him. But there were good things that they did in response to the Spirit. And I've always grown up, and still do believe, that God rewards good, just like He rewards evil. And there is some degree, at least, in in that that He blesses those who do good with some kind of eternal glory. But again, that's part of our discussion. Um, just as a scripture, um, and again, this is, everything's up for debate, but, you know, Matthew 10, 38 is, is an example of, you know, he goes through who, whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward or, or a righteous man's reward. And then he says, um, and even if somebody, you're, you, you priesthood go out and you're preaching the gospel and somebody gives you a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, he shall not lose his reward. And I've always taken that to mean, you know, even if somebody, they didn't necessarily say they accepted the gospel, but they just were a blessing to you. They, they mm-hmm. helped you along, the, along your journey. You know, it says they, it, that's, there's a reward there. And I, I've always taken that to, to mean that there is something, you know, some blessing that God gives, you know, to these individuals that it arguably isn't taken away, even if, even if they don't come to Christ in the end. You know, that, that kind of, again, I'm, I'm not going to say that proves anything. No, I I know that I've I've read that scripture, and that's another one I mm-hmm. probably just like okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just like every idle word, like I don't even know how to <laughs> build a yeah yeah, it, and that's fair. So I right. like I said, I'm not trying to prove or lock down anything here. Just to say that there's yep. you know there's arguments on both sides and legitimate arguments. Um, and I think the fourth point I said, if I included that, yeah, is that there should be no such thing as a greater sin or a lesser sin. Um, and no such thing as greater righteousness, because really in the end, there's only 100% righteousness, <laughs> if you will, or 100% sin. You know, there is no, and obviously we know there are scriptures that talk about greater and lesser sins. Um, but in the end, does is my assumption correct here? Is that is that a theological consequence of the idea? Or, you know, do we need to then talk about even if there's greater sin or lesser sin, in the end, what does that mean in terms of reward or punishment? You know, that... And again, I'm not going to try to lock down that answer, but that's, you know, one could make the argument is that it doesn't matter what sin, you know, sin is sin. If it's never washed away through the mercy of Jesus Christ, all sin leads to 
the lake of fire, right? You know, any sin leads to the lake of fire if it's not, you know, if they are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ at the day of judgment. And yeah, that's... Is that, a, is that a fair kind of very simplistic way of... Yeah, no, that's a... You're laying out a some great talking points, um, and I'm trying not to debate every one of them right now because <laughs> we'll, we'll, that'll, we'll come to that. that. But let's just use common sense for a mm-hmm. minute uh, and t- step away from Scripture speak. I've heard... I've heard people say, and I actually heard this from a great one of the great Bible ministries I listened to, how people say, you know, God cannot dwell in the presence of sin. You know, mm-hmm. no no amount of, um, and that and that in a sense, okay, but really that's not true because God came to us in our sin, and and dwelt among us in our sin to save us from our sin, and that's uh, an amazing thing. It, God is. We have this idea that I sin and God is just so repulsed that he can't be in, you know, I can't be in his presence. He, No, he is so connected with us in our sins because he wants to save us from our sins. Yes, he can handle our sins. Uh, when we talk about uh, no sin can dwell in his presence um, or greater or lesser sins, common sense tells me that I can be involved in sin you know, by breaking the law of the land, by driving, you know, five miles an hour over the speed limit, uh-huh. that does not come close to some of the most perverse sins that I can be involved in that actually canker my soul and change the very nature of my spirit. Mm-hmm. There are sins that we do every day that we are not even aware of or are aware of, and then there are sins that just canker and mm-hmm. and destroy the very nature of who we are, whereas we can't even repent any longer. Yeah, I mean, the Catholic Church has a doctrine of the, the seven deadly sins, you know, and some yeah, right. Protestant churches have that, that have carried that same concept as well. And I'm not sure I necessarily go along, but it's, if you look at them, yeah, those are kind of like the big cankerous sins, you know, uh, lust and pride. Mm-hmm. And I forget all the seven, but... I, th- I, I always want to remind our listeners and myself a simple truth that the Lord brought me to, and that's like, there is nothing God can't forgive he can mm-hmm. he can forgive us he has power to forgive us but what he's trying i think what we need to understand is there are things we participate in that will prohibit us from repenting mm-hmm. uh when, when he says the un the only sin you can't be forgiven of is the you know denying the holy spirit is that because god doesn't have power somehow to forgive you of that? No, it's because when you do that, you no longer can repent. Yeah, I think I agree with that generally, yeah. You no longer have yeah. a desire, right, to be born of this. There's nothing there to, for God to grasp onto or for you to, to work with. Like, your soul is dead. You've denied all truth. You want no part of it. It's well, there's no un- forgiveness then. unforgivable from your point of view because at that point you've crossed the line where you won't come back. Like, in right. Words, kind of that. Yeah, I think I, I generally agree with that. Uh, as a very momentary diversion, kind of tagging off of something you said there. Yeah. You know, I've, a lot of times we, I mean, so many, how many times have I heard it over the years in church? Oh, well, the spirit was offended because this person, you know, spoke too loud in church or this thing happened. Well, the spirit was offended and, it, you know, it left. Well, you know, I, I thought of that over the years and I'm like, you know, is the spirit just like some of us that is so, has such a, such a, 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 a pansy, you know, mm-hmm. a, a wimpy, you know, we, do we serve such a wimpy God that he, that he gets offended at the slightest drop of a hat and he, he's gone, you know, he's not, I think there's something wrong with that. I think sometimes <laughs> when we say the spirit was, it was offended and left, I think it's because our heart has changed and our focus has been taken off Christ. And so we stopped feeling it. Yeah, <laughs> I I, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but 
uh, anyway, that's I haven't thought of that, but that's <laughs> I I agree. Yeah, <laughs> he's this wimpy, fragile. Uh, uh, don't offend. Yeah, no, I. But on the other hand, you know, you and I, I, I know what you're saying is, and again, I don't want to. We could spend a whole hour just talking about can God dwell with sin because mm-hmm. there aren't even two perspectives on that. You know, there there is a sense in which sin, you know, sin, you know, can't exist in His presence because no unclean thing can enter you know? the kingdom of God. Yeah, that there is, will be no halfway uh, clean people in the kingdom. It's not going to be like today. You know? I don't want I don't want the kingdom of God to resemble the kingdom of earth that oh. we're, we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. And yet in Job chapter 1, you have Satan showing up in the courts of God's glory, arguing before the, the court there. Well, wait a <laughs> we, minute, how does that fit, right? <laughs> come on, man, that's, that's poetry. <laughs> we have well, got... I don't disagree with that either, but again, there, you know, there's more than... Anyway. Right. We can spend a whole hour on that subject alone. Um so <clears throat> when we go through all that, and then there's, I've got more, you know, I've all, we certainly have more than we could ever fit in an hour, I'm sure. But um, I, I guess maybe my, my second point then was to come at maybe this whole topic from a different angle. Is it reasonable, scripturally reasonable to believe um, that there are two outcomes in eternity? There is a place that we call heaven and a place that we call hell, but still also believe that people can be individually rewarded differently, or if you think of it as people can individually experience their enjoyment of that reward in eternity differently based on maybe degrees of character, degrees of their their love for Christ or their, their commitment to Christ. Could there be degrees of enjoyment in eternity and still be two basic places? Um, now, you, you know, you're going to have one answer to that question, and I'm going to have a different answer to that question potentially. Um, different answers, yeah. uh, and that's fine. I just mm-hmm. want to, whatever our answers are, and you're mm-hmm. right, they probably will be, but I want to always bring it back to how does it affect us today and here and now, and is it even an important concept to think about or hang out on? Like, how does it affect my relationship with Jesus? How does it affect my understanding of the nature of God? And if it doesn't, fine. We're mm-hmm. fine to have whatever belief we want. For some, it probably doesn't matter. For others, yeah. it could be a huge stumbling block. So Yeah. And, and and again, that you're exactly right. And I think a lot of it depends on, you know, you've got branching, you know, views, let's say, within, you know, you stake that one idea and mm-hmm. you can branch off of that. What does that really mean? What, what are the consequences of that belief? Well, one consequence is, uh, let's just take take it one way, Section 76 says that those in celestial glory, which we agree is the presence of the Father, are those that accepted the gospel, they were baptized, they endured to the end. You find Book of Mormon scriptures that say exactly the same thing, that unless you're baptized and endure to the end, following the example of the Son of the living God, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so one view of that, you know, even that view that there's all or nothing, let's say, could say that in this life, if you are not 100%, you know, literally endure to the end, literally accept Christ, and you know, that pretty much everything else, you know, the good Christian who who re- rejected the Book of Mormon, the the good person who didn't go out and kill, you know, <laughs> you know, thousands of people, but but you know, responded to the Spirit of Christ, that there is absolutely no hope for for the vast majority of of humankind that weren't completely sold out to Jesus. And I, I told you about my friend in college who who expressed this this view, is that unless you're 100% sold out to Jesus, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I think we believe in more grace than that. You know, we in the, in the Restoration believe in more grace than that, in that there are, 
based on my viewpoint, you know, I've seen right. the differences of rewards in the end or different glories in the end, that there is a place for somebody who loves Jesus, who didn't give their <laughs> lives wholly to him, but, but the, uh, you know, like absolute uh, 100% sacrifice, let's say, but they, well, we, you know. we, 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 we believe in a conditional grace to an extent. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. there's a place for yeah. them, but, but not with the Father. So that's yeah. not a complete grace. <laughs> and again, that, these are, yeah, I understand. Um, but I'm just saying that that is one avenue that somebody could say, well, I'm not like that, so there must be no hope for me. Right. You know? So in one sense, there is, there is hope in the idea that there is, there is a, a reward for people that, you know, that there is, that there, it is more tolerable for them, you know. You know, if they, you know, don't, aren't, aren't a complete son of perdition. I'm just saying that that's. Let me. Can it, I? Th- it, can does, I... it does have a consequence on our theology. Or the other side of it is, well, if you say, well, we don't want to limit the the scope of who who gets into the kingdom that much. Well, then we would say that pretty much everybody, unless you're you're an absolute loser, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, is going to eventually be in the Father, and it doesn't Why matter does... what you do, right? So there, are, those are consequences. Does that? that does about. that? Thought rub you the wrong way? Does that rub some? I know it does in our church. Somehow, some way, that thought that only the worst of the worst, or mm-hmm. as I'll quote, you know, section seventy six, only mm-hmm. the sons of perdition are not saved. Right. What is the rub for people in our faith culture hearing that and just thinking, "Wow, God has a great plan, and we're all going to be in His kingdom." Mm-hmm. There's something. There's just like you've drilled down to this rewarded means in proportion to mm-hmm. what is the essence of that rub that thought that that's just too easy is it just is it the protestant that we're pushing against like uh it could be like like because i i i admit there's there's a large group of people out there that have perverted the gospel and made it way too easy, easy without a change yeah. of but right. what we're what we're talking about, in essence, mm-hmm. is Jesus says you have to be spiritually born again to even see the kingdom of God. Right. That that to me that that cancels out all of these other ideas that I just believe in Christ and I'm saved. Sure, sure. And that's because that's that's one of those concepts that's hiding in plain sight that we don't focus on because there's too many other little details to focus on when we're right. missing the core of what it means to be a Christian. Right. And part of what I want to answer your question, <laughs> I hesitate to because I want to I want to spend like the whole next podcast talking about kind of getting back to telestial glory specifically. Um, and I don't want to kind of go down that rabbit hole today because it would, mm. it would bury us. But, um, but I think the, one of the reasons is, yeah, like you said, it could be, is it a Protestant, you know, heaven or hell? We don't like that idea. And so we've We've been trained to reject that idea based on our theology. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's that's at least a, a, a distinct possibility uh, that is true. Um, but I think the part of the reason is there is there is an enough body of scripture that talk about, and I'll just this is where I'm hinting at that I, I don't want to go deep into this time. But um, if we look at what section seventy six says about the telestial glory. Mm-hmm. They're basically the people that rejected God. Mm-hmm. They rejected God in this life. They were wicked in this life. They didn't accept the fullness of the gospel. They didn't accept the testimony of Christ, even, seems to read to me, in eternity, you know, even, even after their death. And so, except for the fact that section 76 also says they are saved, you know, that requires definition now, mm-hmm. um, 
basically, if we were to take a Book of Mormon view of, of those people, we would say that they were the wicked. They never knew God, and the Book of Mormon, and I, I'm giving away my, my next uh, discussion on the podcast. <laughs> you act like, uh, like uh, I'm going to go home and like, ah, oh, I see where John's coming from, and come up with a big thesis. You no, know by now no, that I don't no, do that. I know. <laughs> I, but, can't, uh, but, I can't do like that. Like I said, I'm, I'm trying not to dig, dive deep into that conversation, but you know, it, what, where I'm going to wrap this up is I'm going to say the Book of Mormon would say of those people— they are not going to be. They're going to be cast out at the end. They are going to shrink from the presence of God because they never knew Him. They were wicked, and so when we say, "Oh, well, no, saved means saved into the presence of the Father," well, that's that becomes a contradiction with what other Scripture says. And right. I think that's that's I think a key point is that as we interpret certain other Scriptures, I, I think there is a fair pushback, let's say, against the idea that even the even the telestial glory, as section 76 does talk about being saved, it doesn't explicitly ever say that they will be in the presence of the Father ever, and and we would agree with that from other scripture to say, that yes, the wicked are, are going to be cast off. They are going to be separated from God at the end because they were wicked and they never accepted the gospel, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to push, you know, one outcome, which is, you know, a fair Interpretation. I'll say it's. I, I don't. I don't agree that's necessarily a fair interpretation. But just to say that the that if if we would consider the idea that telestial glory eventually at some point in the future comes into the presence of the Father and they yeah. receive this hundred percent salvation instead of the zero percent, um, it seems to not only rub us the wrong way, but it seems to rub very hard against other scripture that would lead us in different direction. Okay. And so I, I think there is a there is a fair pushback. Whether it's right or not, you know, I'll leave you to judge. But <laughs> when I step back, even out of my own little discussion area of the glories, mm-hmm. I almost chuckle because why does the telestial glory get so much screen time? It's like <laughs> we hang out trying to, and really, what I'm trying to make light of a situation. Mm-hmm. What, what really is important to me is those people that want to follow God and that are trying to follow God but still fail, mm-hmm. that that uh, that live in a space where I believe certain things and mm-hmm. yet I find myself still captive to sin, that to me is a very real thing that we deal with. You know, mm-hmm. wh- why do I have days where I feel hopeless? Why do I have days where I question the sovereignty of God and, mm-hmm. you know, is he seeing the struggles I'm going through in my family and 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 why do I hurt? You know, these these things are where I think is an important, this is why it's important to believe in God's plan, because it's not that most of us, most people listening to this um, want to follow God. I'm not, we're not speaking to atheists and trying to convert those that are just hedonistic and have no care in the world. But what we're speaking to is for those that want to follow God, I want to give them hope, and I want them to see God as he really is because I think there's power. The more we know the character of God, the more we understand his love for us, there's power in overcoming these things. And so mm-hmm. that's why it's important. I wanted to—I um, <clears throat> just want to, if you'll allow me, I want to—oh, go ahead. Sure. Oh, I was going to say, there, there is one more consequence, again, of, of that idea <laughs> that we, we've already talked about, so we don't want to dig deep, but is the idea that if somebody dies without Christ— mm-hmm and dies essentially, you know, wicked, um, that somehow they, in the end, in, in eternity, 
get essentially a, an extended day of probation or a, no, mm-hmm. a second day of probation in which they can now come back into the presence of the Father. And that is also a theological sticking point that goes against what I see a lot of clear scriptures in the Book of Mormon on, mm-hmm. not all, but but mm-hmm. some, um, in the idea that this is the day of grace, you know, this is the day of probation, this is the, you know, the day that we we make our choice. I'm glad you, yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because that's even though most people listening to this want to follow God, want to follow mm-hmm. Christ, and that we're speaking and trying to make these relevant to them. We all have people, and, and that's how it is, does become relevant, the telestial area, because mm-hmm. we all know people that, you know, great-grandpa didn't believe in Jesus, but, he, you know, he lived mm-hmm. a good life and helped his neighbor, and now you're telling me I'll never see him again because he's yeah. in hell. So that's how it yeah. we I, I, I remember very— uh, James McDonald was one of my favorite preachers early on, um, him and his wife gave a very, uh, still a YouTube video. Very plainly, I saw their their philosophy come in conflict because his father in law, he was beginning to witness to him of Jesus as his wife's father. Mm-hmm. Um, he never accepted Christ according to his faith system. He's an evangelical mainstream yeah. preacher. He never yeah. never witnessed, never gave his heart to the Lord. But he was he was trying to talk to him. He saw him coming around, and I think he was roofing or one, he had an accident and he died mm-hmm. well they were sitting on a couch being he's like i don't know what to tell you this is not what i've taught this is not what i believe but so this, this is james mcdonald talking to the audience essentially of, well or, it's actually if i remember right it's him and his wife sitting on a couch uh-huh. and i don't know if they were being interviewed or but what it was a very intimate setting it wasn't in a preaching yeah. but he said this isn't my philosophy, this isn't what I preach, he says, but, oh, his wife actually said, at some point in time, she says, the Spirit manifests something to you. And she said, all I can tell you is, the Spirit has told me that my father is okay and that he will receive Jesus. Mm-hmm. That was completely against mm-hmm. their philosophy. Now, you could say, well, that's just a, a daughter <laughs> having hope for her father. But, uh, yeah. but that's, the point is being made, though, that yeah. when it comes down to it, mm-hmm. That's a, a very real, a very real sticking point for, for people. Yeah, and you read like in um, what's the the famous book uh, Call It Evening? You know that that type of book that you know the kind of the gospel presentation. Mm-hmm. Now you're right. That's one of the things that has always we've always taken as sort of a setting apart or s- distinguishing our view of the gospel, and it includes life after death because that's part of the gospel. <laughs> right. Of yeah, we we realize that. People have hope, and but some of that hope comes from, and just to be fair, you know, in the distinction of it, some of that hope comes from the fact, like you just said, about having the chance after somebody dies, it doesn't, it may or may not, you know, even though I believe it does, lead eventually to a idea of glories. Those are really two separate concepts. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, think, I think you kind of brought that out maybe or mm-hmm. know, sort of indirectly, is that the idea that somebody might have, who didn't maybe fully have that, knowledge of the gospel or the opportunity in this life, have the, having a, an opportunity to finish that, you know, that chance to receive Christ versus having the ability to receive Christ, but only receiving maybe terrestrial glory. Those, those are really two distinct doctrines that one doesn't fully depend on the other. I, okay. I guess maybe let's, let's put it that way. I'll, I'll be fair about that, that we, one, one could be taken without the other, I guess. Yeah. We have a sense of fairness and it comes from, uh, we could call it we may not say justice. Justice and mercy are so much more, I think, holy than what 
we say as fair or, Mm -hmm. but in this world, we have a sense of fairness. And so to think that God isn't fair, that, you know, someone had a, was just given a a rough plate to live on. And, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they, they had a, they had it bad from the beginning to say that God's not going to allow them a chance on the other side of the veil. Um, we want to think that there's a sense of fairness there. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm not, okay, well, so we have about 10 minutes left. Let's, Mm -hmm. Let me present a few thoughts to bring you, you know, to okay. just open this up for where we'll go next time, which I'm not sure. I think I kind of know, but <laughs> my grandmother lived to be 96 years old. I've, I was a hospice nurse, so I've spent thousands, without exaggeration, thousands of hours dealing with people who are in their last stages of life, mm-hmm. of existence in this world. I've watched them go through that process of reality setting in and I am about ready to leave this world. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very sobering time, but it's also, uh, I think, one of the most unexpected things is the normalcy of it, that it, <laughs> you would expect it to be this climax, right, this culmination at the, you know, the orchestra music swells and I'm getting ready to leave this life, and it's more of a just a a normalcy, whether you believe in God or not. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, it's such a, it's a really weird place to be in to, to walk that pathway or to be around that. Some of us are, are, are there a few times in life, but to see it over and over again, Hmm. to watch people leave this side of the veil and go on to what's next is, it's hard to wrap your mind around, but I wanted to say most people begin to lose their cognitive, you know, they're either um, unconscious or yeah. so sick that they're out of their mind because of what the body does and releases. My grandmother is one of the few people that was 100% alert and and hmm. no dementia, mm-hmm. uh, spoke with her on the phone as she, was, as she was on hospice in the facility she was at. She was in Ohio. I was out here. She said to me uh, days before, hours, a day before she died, I'm just a little scared. And mm-hmm. we had a talk. I said, Grandma, you know about Jesus. You've, mm-hmm. you've been with him. You've, you've related to him your entire life, right? Yeah. I said, he's, he's going to bring you home. Yeah. She had a little moment of doubt. Right? Mm-hmm. She had a little moment of trepidation. Um, she saw her sister and brother before she died coming to bring her peace. Uh, I believe in that wholeheartedly. I don't believe that's an apparition or a, a mind trick. I think that's something Jesus does to comfort us. I've seen it too many times. She, what we believe about God in those moments is important. Um, but also, what... What she believed about him during her life, um, even more important, I think, mm-hmm. to bring her to that point. People, uh, well, we are only on this earth for a short period of time. So just, let's just step back a little bit out of all of our my theories. How is a just God, without making this time on this earth insignificant, because I think the scriptures are very clear Mm -hmm. to not procrastinate and that this life is a time to prepare. But 
how does a just God take a few moments compared to eternity and allow our eternal our eternal um, sentence, our eternal mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, our eternal outcome for outcome years, you know, yeah. years without end, right? Right. Yeah. Is and I'm not saying yes or yay or nay, but mm-hmm. is that fair to think that my short time on this earth is going to determine an eternal place com- completely? Mm-hmm. Or is there space that this experience in my temporal body was necessary to help my heart change? Even on the other side of the veil, mm-hmm. this experience was necessary, but that when my heart stops beating, it's not the final word. Mm-hmm. That's very fair, and I, I've got two main thoughts in response to that. One is, if you take what you said, you know, this 70-plus years of existence, or mm-hmm. much less for some people and maybe more for others, and you add another 1,000 years to that, or a few thousand years, you know, somebody's in the prison house, mm-hmm. or 1,000 years of the Christ reign on earth before the final judgment, you know, if you take all of that, several thousand years, and you compare that to eternity, it's still nothing, right. literally nothing in, in the, the mathematical sense. <laughs> um, and so even if you take what you said and extend it into our, you know, maybe the, the opportunity that somebody might have after they die, you know, that they mm-hmm. didn't get in the 70 years of, of this life, um, I would say then to my second answer to your, your question is, is that fair to say that whether it's 70 years or whether it's 70 plus a thousand years, um, is it fair and reasonable, let's say, that God would take our response in that mm-hmm. minuscule, minuscule, nothing period of time and allow us to experience... Actually, you know, this is all part of my first answer, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that, that our eternal outcome is based on just that, that moment in time, literal moment in time. And I think it is fair because that's what he said he would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so my second point then, that's the, the distinctly second point, is what the question that you ask is very fair, but it's independent of whether there are a heaven and hell or whether there are four glories, because either way, you're talking about our experience in this life and our response to Christ in this life or after this life, it doesn't matter which, mm-hmm. is going to determine your outcome for eternity in four glories, or it's going to determine your outcome in either, you know, a place with Christ or a place without Christ, let's say. Um, and so I would say that it's a great question, it, you know, a, a theoretical question, let's say, about, uh, you know, Wow, we only have this this moment in time to determine where we're going to be for literal eternity. That if people just most people don't even have a concept of mathematical infinity, <laughs> or or right. time or or time infinity, you know either one. We 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 just naturally don't have a con you know a concept of that unless we really think about it and, and learn it. But to really understand that my choice is right now. Again, however long that moment is, it's just a, a moment, you know, it's just a flash of, of lightning, essentially, and c- compared to eternity. Um, my choices are going to determine my outcome, mm-hmm. for good or bad. And I think that question is really comes back to the, what's the importance of the gospel, independent of what we believe about the, you know, the final right. state of affairs, the final state of outcomes. Um, 
now's the time we you know and book of mormon says right, now, right. you know this is the time for us to make our choice and that well, really is where we need to be focused with with the gospel is is helping people be aware that really aren't aware what you do right now matters you know what, yeah the scriptures are written right based on how people think and and how, how human minds because you're right we don't we don't understand the concept of eternity so they're based on you know going through this experience and how do we see God that I see eternity well when when you really dwell on it I think most people just look at like a 24-hour cycle infinity you know day after day after day after day but I mm-hmm. I see it more as a circle like uh time just wraps around on itself and becomes this all you exist everywhere at once right or wrong I mean mm-hmm. it's just my finite mind so in that case who I am right now is who I am uh in heaven, who I am right now is always who I am, and yeah, so I—that's I, fair. So I need to change who I. It's not like to, who I am today is not who I am going to be tomorrow. That that's true for my existence here on this earth, but in eternity, um, it's like, like I am existing in eternity now, and that's why I need mm-hmm. to change now. Um, so that's just—I just barely conceptualize that, but that's that's just a little window into how I see things. Yeah, and that's and, even, the, the way you said that is even kind of almost an interesting little paradox, is like if I'm existing like in inside of eternity, and yet at some point I'm able to make a decision about what I will be in eternity, but at some point I will stop being able to make that choice, and it's locked, right? It's Well, it's yeah, in. so like we, we, God is not like hanging out somewhere like, man, how is this all going to turn out? Like God is already <laughs> with us in his kingdom experience. Right, it, it, we're getting really existential here, but <laughs> but like it's not like he's up there waiting. That's why I never understood the whole, you know, what a sacrifice to send your son off and to be apart from him. It's like, well, even as Jesus was on the cross, Jesus was on the throne with God, existing in the new heaven and new earth. Right. That, that that's <laughs> one of those mysteries. Again, you know, you're right. It's exactly a mystery. That we're probably uh, moving yeah. away from the practicality of like, how yeah. do I not get ticked off when someone cuts me off in traffic <laughs> and, and be a good Christian? Right. <laughs> we're, right. We're, we're way right. out there right but, now. But no, it all circles back to, again, the point of the whole thing, really the whole gospel is come into Christ and be perfected in him. You have mm-hmm. a chance and you have a choice. And well, it, yeah, you better make that choice. Where yeah. are we? Tell me where we're headed yeah. next time. Where do we leave off, and where do you want to go next time? Well, if you'd like, because um, I didn't get to my scripture I had oh. ready in the Book of Mormon today. I'll oh. save it for next time. Okay, um, could be next time. If I, you know, I'd be glad to do it next time, unless you have something more pressing. That um, it, not that I think celestial glory is the most important thing. Right, as you, you commented earlier. <laughs> a lot of screen time. <laughs> but um, right. because I think that it's an important paradigm for a, a window, I, I, and I've come to see it differently in the last six months of our conversations, of of how the Book of Mormon and the doctrine in section 76 actually come together in a way that I think is going to challenge your paradigm, perhaps, and also cha- challenge my traditional RLDS paradigm. Okay. Um, I think it's going to be a, a, a different kind of insight you may like it, you may not like it, but uh, it's it's going to be a point of discussion that I think is what I found greater agreement between the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants than what I even have, you know, six months ago. Well, so. it may surprise you that I say I have found. Well, I hinted in a text this week. I um, look my 
I, I'm not afraid of challenging anything anymore because I, I have gone to the brink of, do I believe this faith at all? Mm-hmm. Uh, is the Book of Mormon a, a, a scam? <laughs> is Joseph, <laughs> you know, and, and and I've come back from that more convicted and converted than ever that Jesus is real, that his word is in the Book of Mormon, and also mm-hmm. that Joseph was a prophet and that there are things in the Doctrine and Covenants that are just gems that, mm-hmm. that give us insight and work together with the Book of Mormon. So mm-hmm. wherever we end up, I think it's going to be a good place, and I feel God guiding me week to week. I'll just say, you know, I've, I've had a couple LDS uh, people on the show, on the on the program. Uh, Mark Curtis, especially, is a, is a wonderful person. I've listened to a lot of his teaching. Uh, we discussed priesthood. Um, and even during that conversation, I heard things I hadn't heard before. Uh, you could listen to that and think, Mike doesn't believe in priesthood. That's not, not true at all. Um, there's just a, there's a lot of things to explore and we shouldn't be afraid to explore it. And even since that show, I've come to have some insight into priesthood that I think is, I think it's from the Lord, but, Mm -hmm. but. We can anyway, talk about it someday. Yeah, but yeah so no, I, I think it's fair. Uh, uh, so I just I, I want to remind our listeners that these are casual conversations, although they are based on very strong convictions, and and there's nothing more important than to speak of our eternal salvation, and that's why we do these, um, and to be merciful to each other as we explore these things, and sometimes think out loud. Uh, but my mind doesn't shut off when the podcast is over. I'm continually. Uh, thinking and praying and and pondering and meditating on those things. So, yeah, my view may change from week to week, and I would expect nothing less because if God is real and interacting, we should all be not stagnant, right? (laughs) We should have closed the book on what we know and say, that's it, I'm done, I've got that locked down. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, always, because we talk, it's like, Wow, what I think about that, and then, you know, I've right. thought in lots of different avenues. You know what's funny now? When I, when I start having a thought in my mind, I'm like, okay, wait, what would John say about this? <laughs> <laughs> How would John argue where my mind's going right now so that I can kind of be pulled back from, you know, anyway. that I think that's a good thing anyway. Well, um, I will let you pick up next time then, and uh, we'll see where we go with this. Okay. All right. Until then, uh, I'll just take Corey's little word. Remember, we are walking each other home, so be good to one another. (laughs) 